All events depicted in this podcast are real. However, the names, locations, and some details have been changed for the privacy of those involved. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of Walking on Eggshells with an Emotional Vampire, a podcast that, above all things, is about family. When you were young, did you feel different? Walking around the corridors at school, was there something hidden deep inside of you? And even though your friends and teachers couldn't tell, you knew you were important. Maybe back at home, these inklings were validated by your parents when they told you that you were destined for great things, that you were special. And to be clear, I don't think any of this is a bad thing. Every child is entitled to feel special, right? I certainly did. I was the golden boy, remember? But for me, it was more than just a feeling. I knew that there was something different and special about me and my sisters, because we were part of a special race. A rare breed of people who were ingenuitive and durable and intelligent, and who held themselves to a higher moral standard than the rest. We were Cossacks. Yeah, we think differently. That's what he'd say. We have different, differently wired brains, and because of that, we're incredibly intelligent and can figure things out, but it's also incredibly lonely. The way that Dad described our heritage was like it was an incredible gift, and to have it meant that we could do amazing things, superhuman things even. But with this incredible gift came a cost that would be a burden for the rest of our lives. Does this sound familiar to you? It did to me too. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like every superhero movie that I've ever seen, you know? You have these amazing abilities, but it's not going to make your life easier. It's actually going to make your life more difficult. Yes. <laughs> what's, uh, what's, uh, what's Uncle Ben say to Peter Parker? Uh, uh, it's um, uh, with, with great power comes great responsibility. I think he just, he just ripped the whole idea of us being Cossacks off of Spider-Man. Yes. So what were these great responsibilities that were thrust upon our shoulders? Well, just like any B-grade superhero movie... They were both poorly defined and wide-ranging. It came up growing up and I was like, you know, a very emotional child. I'd cry a lot and stuff. And he'd go, Arya, don't show your emotions, you're a Cossack. That's one of the staples. I I got that a lot. Cossacks don't cry. Cossacks don't show their emotion. Um, Also, Cossacks work 10 to 20% harder than everyone else. So you you have to commit to working harder than everyone else. Um, one of the weird ones that I got, I was at a wedding, um, and there was a table full of dudes there and they all had shots of vodka in front of them. And one by one, they would get up and do a toast and everyone else would stand up and they'd all take a shot and then they'd sit back down again. And then about two minutes later, another toast would happen. Um, and dad said to me, um, if you're a Cossack and you stand up and give a toast, every other Cossack must stand up and drink with you as well. So essentially being a Cossack is like being part of a lifelong drinking game. (laughs) Being that alcoholic Cossack dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it was kind of like that. It had that, that frat boy feel about it. Uh, like a bunch of dudes getting together in their secret club and drinking beers and stuff. Well, maybe frat boy's a little bit harsh. Maybe it's more like a secret society. It, it had that sort of feel about it where it was very important to you if you were in it, but no one else really seemed to know anything about it. No, he, he did a lot of the whole Cossack... Oh, yeah, it's... um it's a Cossack thing or it's a, you know, it's my pride. Yeah. Um, not me, not his pride. He's like, um, 
I've got to honor, honor the Cossack way. No, I think you're, you're smack on when you said he's pride. I think he's a very prideful person and whether these traits are actually Cossack traits um, or not, he's definitely using them to feed that pride that he has. You know, he, he promised something. Oh, you know, it's a Cossack thing. I've, 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 you know, I've promised something. I've got to keep my word. You know, my word is like my word is my bond kind of thing. You know what I mean? It was like a, but that, that all came back from, from the Cossack thing. And this brings us to what is undoubtedly dad's most irritating and arguably most self-destructive personality trait, the giving of his word. I give my word and I'm like, I hate it so much. I give my word. It's my word. I give my word. It's always so intense. Ugh, it's so cringe. Yes. If you've listened to episode one of this podcast, you should already have an idea of what Dad giving his word looks like. In that instance, it led to almost a decade of him scrubbing his own underwear in the family shower. But situations like these were far from isolated. Actually, I was going to say, so when I was about three or four years old, I used to poke Dad in the belly button, and then he used to poke me back in the belly button, and I'd hate it. And then... We made a promise to each other that we would never, ever poke each other in the belly button again. And, like, to this day, he brings up, like, we promised each other and we gave each other our word. And it's been, what, like, almost 30 years and I've kept my promise that I would never poke him in the belly button. Like, it was a big deal that I kept a promise at such a young age. And, yeah. Were you poking him in the the belly button recently? (laughs) (laughs) No. Jesus Christ. You know, last week when we were poking each other in the belly button. We, <laughs> we, <laughs> no, no, we wouldn't poke each other in the belly button. I gave my word. <laughs> oh You're my as God. weird as he is. What the fuck? I gave my word and said I wasn't ever going to poke you in the belly button. I'm not sure what the hell this example from Aria is, but as disturbing as it may seem, it does show how unexpected Dad's word giving could be. In fact, in some cases you might find that just a regular everyday conversation with Dad could abruptly turn into an unbreakable, lifelong blood oath. Because he would say, we, we'll go fishing on the weekend. And he had to go fishing with me if he told me. And so he stopped. He's like, I don't like to say we're going to go fishing if I'm not sure because you hold me to my word. But that's just a regular conversation. I think he's mixing up a regular conversation with his daughter with giving his word. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm like a 10-year-old child. I'm like... Dad, you said we'll go fishing. He's like, ah, oh, I gotta go fishing. I gave you my word. Okay, let's go. It's the Cossack way. <laughs> yeah. But what was the Cossack way? I certainly couldn't say for sure. And when I asked the sisters what specifics they knew about our Cossack ancestors, the only thing they could tell me was that they had that funny dance. You know the one. The one where they kicked their legs out. You know, where you kind of squat down and then you do the leg, one hey, leg and then hey, the other hey, leg. Hey, hey, yeah. hey, hey, hey. And the Cossack dance of course, was one of Dad's favourite drunken party tricks. But he used to do that, like, at parties and stuff. I remember as a kid him doing that. He'd get a bottle of vodka out and get everyone at the party had to do shots and the bottle would be empty. (laughs) Like, in the morning you'd see empty bottles of vodka and you just remember Dad just dancing around the house going, hey, hey, hey. He'd always be up at six in the morning, though. He'd still be drunk. (laughs) I had such a good night last night. I need to rub some some tiger balm on my quads after last night. It was such a good (laughs) night. I had such a good night. Hey, 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 hey. Jesus. I felt like I've just been squatting for days. His legs would be aching, but he'd be up doing, like, work and stuff. This conversation got me thinking. 
could it really be true that the only thing that I actually knew for certain about the Cossack people, with whom I share a bloodline, is that they had thick, pulsating, muscular upper thighs? Luckily for me, we live in the 21st century, and all of the world's knowledge is but a few dozen Google searches away. And after an afternoon with my face buried in a smartphone, I had all the facts committed to memory and ready to share over the sibling group chat. I'm like, is it the Cossack thing or is it just a no, it is. Eastern European thing? Or No, no, it definitely is. Um, that's actually why I got you in here today. Um, I've done a bunch of research on all the Cossack stuff and I, I actually have all the facts now. So what the word Cossack means, it actually means adventurer or free man. And that's because that's what the Cossacks were. They were these semi-nomadic people who lived outside of the cities. But they were also highly militarized. And because of this, the Russian government needed them during wars and things. So they would give them special privileges in return for military service. And that, that's kind of what galvanized them as an actual people. Um, yeah, so that, that's, kind of, that's kind of the Cossack stuff. Cossack? Uh, Cossack stuff? What? Cossack? <laughs> that's what you said. No, I didn't. Cocksack. <laughs> that is so disrespectful to our heritage. I'm sure all those cocksacks out there are going to be really, really upset about it. Uh, unless they break their cocksack when they do the dance. They're like, hey, hey, ow, ow, hey, ow, It's ow. the cocksack way. You don't shut up, I'll kick you in the cocksack. <laughs> yes. Oh, damn. One of my goals for this podcast has always been to get to know myself by shedding light on where I came from. And researching the Cossack people was something that was high on my list of things to do. Not so high on that list was to relentlessly and immaturely make fun of the Cossack name and traditions. So, after steering the conversation back on track, that's exactly what I intended to do. <laughs> the Cossack is very low to the ground when they dance. In some cases, it's almost touching because they're so old. <laughs> All right, let's take a pause on the disrespect for just a minute, sorry, okay? Sorry, You gave your word and you disrespected your heritage. What are you, a demon or something? <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's, let's get back on track. Um, so when I was researching, I was really trying to find out a, a good definition of what a Cossack was, but it was a lot more difficult than I thought. It, it seems like the term Cossack is a lot more fluid than you would think. When you go way back in history, it definitely seems like Cossacks were traditional Russian Orthodox, but I also found examples of Buddhist and Muslim Cossacks. So even that's not said. Um, they generally had conservative family values, but as you come through history, all of this starts to change and they start to adopt different beliefs and different ideals. One of the interesting things I found was a recent article that talked about this Cossack militia that started up, which was kind of like a, a white nationalist group that got together. But then Cossacks on the other side came out and said, no, that's not what we're about. They're corrupting the Cossack beliefs because that's never what we were. Um, and also, whatever political party was in power, it always seemed like they were pandering to the Cossack people trying to get their vote. So I guess the big takeaway that I got at the end of all this research was that there is no set definition for what a Cossack is. It almost seems like a Cossack is is everything to everyone. Um, yeah. So you're telling me that the they said that, you know, you're allowed to do the, the Cossack dance. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> so that, that's your big takeaway from all of that. Great. Right. You are now a Cossack. You are allowed to do the dance. <laughs> Ellie's come up with the best noise for that dance. You must squat and then kick your legs out. <laughs> it's easy for the three of us to act cool now, riffing on our Cossack heritage and Dad's interpretation of it. But don't let us fool you. Growing up, 
and for some of us, not too long ago, we completely bought into the larger-than-life tales of the Cossack and our connection to them. But it's hard not to, when there's a real-life superhuman example directly related to you to reference. Um, he would always tell me how much Uncle Lex was so intelligent. He was, like, the smartest man he's ever met. How Uncle Alexi, Lex for short, was more than just the smartest man Dad had ever met. He was the smartest man anyone had ever met. And from the stories we were told, this guy would give Tony Stark a run for his money. Like super, super duper clever, you know, like a genius. He used to say he was a genius. Yeah, genius for sure. Dad would always say about how he won the Apprentice of the Year Award. Now, I, I'm not sure exactly what the Apprentice of the Year Award is. Do you know much about it? No. No, but from what Dad said, it sounded like just to get nominated meant you were one of the great young minds in the country, and if you were to actually win it, you were pretty much Einstein-level intelligence. I did some research into the Apprentice of the Year awards, and to be fair, it does sound legit. It's awarded to the top-performing apprentice in the country in the manufacturing sector. The judging criteria looks brutal too, with participants having to prove, beyond a doubt, that their technical ability is among the best in the country. Dad would always brag about Uncle Lex's two submissions that won him the competition. You know, he, you know, he's told me detailed stories about the, you know, the, you know, he, he did the element for the kettle and things like that. He was like super, super duper clever. Well, that was his submission to the Apprentice of the Year Award. Uh, he invented an element that went into kettles and toasters, pretty much any appliance that had to heat up on a regular basis. He invented this, this little element that went inside that would never burn out. And according to dad, to this day, it's still used because it was a perfect design. Did, did you remember that? Like kettle and toaster and things like that, isn't it? Yes, that is correct. Um, did Dad ever tell you what the second submission that Uncle Lex put in was? No. So he submitted a video that he sent through to the judges. And on the video, there was a solid metal cube. And then Uncle Lex proceeded to, uh, just using hand tools, cut the metal cube in half. And then after he cut it in half, one half he attached to a ton weight and the other half he attached to some kind of pulley. And then where he made the cut, he put the pieces together, and because they were cut so perfectly, some kind of vacuum or friction or suction was caused between the two halves, and he was able to use the pulley to lift up the cube, and then that lifted the one-ton weight underneath it as well. What, without welding it? Without anything. It literally was just the two halves, because they were so perfectly cut, they stuck together like they were magnetized, and then he could lift one whole ton. And, and the judges were so amazed by this video, they came out and had to get a live demonstration to make sure it was real, and that was what clinched him the win. Yeah, I think I've heard that story. Every superhero needs a superpower, and our Uncle Alexis was the ability to manipulate metal. Which isn't bad. I mean, it's impressive and all. But when put in perspective against some of the DC and MCU heavy hitters, like Superman, or Thor, or Cap, manipulating metal seems... kinda basic. But what if manipulating metal was just one of a host of Uncle Lex's super abilities? Um, and then I think he had mum believing he was a genius as well, because she always used to tell me, oh, he was a yes. genius. Mum was full on into it. I remember mum telling me this story... And when I think back on it now, it's so ridiculous, but at the time I fully bought into it. Um, but, but the story was that Uncle Lex had this secret hidden lair that he had, what? which was a cave. And in front of the cave, there was this huge boulder that sat in front. And it was so huge and heavy that a person couldn't push it out of the way. You would have needed a tractor or something. 
But what he'd done, he'd somehow managed to manipulate the magnetic forces of the earth or something. And if you pushed it in in just a special certain way, you could just slide this huge boulder out of the doorway to get into this hidden lair. Um, Yes. He had a lair? Yeah, he had a hidden lair. He had a lair? Yes, he had a hidden lair. That's that's what mum told me. Where was his lair? Um, It was... uh, Where was this? uh, Well, probably near the capital. I think that's where they were living. Um, So it was probably there somewhere. But, I mean, that's not the point. The point is... He, he was able to manipulate the earth so he could move this giant rock. The the lair isn't really the... the was po- this? Was it in Australia oh somewhere? God. We should go to the lair. I want to go to the lair. Me too. You know what? Fuck it. I want to go to the lair too, I guess. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> you know what this means? This means that on top of manipulating metal, Uncle Lex could now add harnessing the earth's magnetic forces to his superhero abilities. But even more than this is the fact that he had a secret superhero hideout like the Batcave or the Fortress of Solitude. And that's like plus 1,000 superhero cool points. All that Uncle Lex needed now was an awesome origin story, and he would be set. And wouldn't you know it? He had one of those, too. Uncle Lex left when I was really young, so I only really remember seeing him when I was very little. I don't remember too much about him. Uh, Did you ever meet him? I don't think you did. Like, Do you even know about him leaving or why he left or any of that stuff? I don't know, they sort of lost contact or had a falling out once yeah. he moved back to Russia. Yeah, but did Dad tell you why Uncle Lex moved back to Russia? It's to do with the magnetic engine or something. So he created this magnetic engine and then he was going to change Australia with it and all of a sudden he decided, nope, packing up, moving, and he would not tell Dad why. And he left. Yeah, uh, that's that's the basic gist of the story, but I've got way more details than that. So uh, Uncle Lex invented a magnetic engine. So this engine would run forever with no fuel. It's, it's a revolutionary device that would change the world. And he had it running for two years straight uh, in his... Um, he made, it, he uh, made his, it in his lair first, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yes, in the lair. He had it running for two years straight. And while it was running in the, in, in the lair, sure, <laughs> he did all these tests on it. Uh, and he was certain that this was ready for mass production. So he organised a bunch of meetings with all of the big engine producers in Australia because uh, they were certain that one of them would want to go into business with him. And this was a really exciting time because they were basically waiting for Uncle Lex to become rich and famous. Like, this was it. This was the big break. And and in the midst of all this happening, one night Lex shows up at Dad's house and he says, don't ever mention the magnetic engine to anyone ever again. And Dad, of course, thought he was joking, but he said, "I'm, I'm dead serious. Do not tell anyone about this ever again. I'm packing it all up and I'm moving to Russia. And as much as Dad questioned him why, Lex would never give him an answer why. The only thing he did say was just before he moved to Russia, he said to Dad, fuck them, if Australia doesn't want it, I'll give it to Russia. I mean, Uncle Lex's move back to Russia has been an unsolved family mystery for as long as I can remember. Not only did he have his life's work and family that he would have to leave behind, but he also had a wife and kids that he would have to uproot and move across the world. It seemed like such an extreme thing to do. And what did he have against Australia all of a sudden? It just didn't make any sense. Unless there were more sinister forces at play prompting the move. Dad believed there was. But this is where it gets a bit scary, right? Because Dad believes it was the oil companies that got to him. He said that the oil companies must have found out that he had this new technology that would 
make fossil fuels obsolete and that would mean the world's dependence on oil would be gone so they would lose all of their influence and that's a, a big problem and he said when he saw his brother he had rage in his eyes but he said he also saw fear and he said that Uncle Lex was a true Cossack, so if they threatened him personally, he never would have backed down, because that's not the Cossack way. So he said they must have threatened to kill his wife and kids, because that's the only way that he would have ever backed down. And that's where that fear came from that he saw in his eyes. And he said that's that fear was what prompted him to, to take the technology and give it to Russia. And this, my friends, is an example of a truly fucking awesome origin story. He creates a world-saving green technology, then our hero is threatened by a cabal of global capitalist oil moguls and forced to flee to the Soviet Union to save his family. I mean, it's so good that the rest of the story really does write itself. After building a new secret lair under the Iron Curtain, Uncle Lex would construct a mechanical suit of armor using his advanced technology before vowing to protect the planet from its corrupt ruling class. But he would need a secret identity too, to protect his loved ones. Something catchy that would strike fear into his enemies. Something like... The Ruski Avenger, fighting for truth, freedom of ideas, and... The Cossack way. The Cossack way. You must squat and then kick your legs out. <laughs> if you haven't been able to tell, I love this story. In fact, after I finish season one of this podcast, I might just want to put together a graphic novel as a palate cleanser before I start on season two. But as much as I love this story, the fact is, it's just that. A story. Because after Uncle Lex left Oz, he just disappeared. No phone calls. No letters. Nothing. It was like he crawled inside of his secret lair, pulled the boulder across, but forgot to teach anyone else how to remove it. And for the next 20 years, that's where the story ended. Bringing us back to the coastal surfing town, post Dad's relationship with Bulldog Face. After Dad broke up with Bulldog Face, he started drinking a lot and chain smoking a lot, and and he wasn't looking too well. Well, Dad, but, Dad um, always he always drank a lot, um, and, and he always smoked as well. But it just seemed like, especially the smoking was just on another level. Accelerated. Yeah, that's that's the word for it. Well, before he started dating her, he would only smoke at work. He wouldn't smoke at home or in front of us. Maybe he did smoke in front of us, but it was a lot more um, secretive or covered. Yeah, I think that's the big post-bulldog effect, is that he didn't care about hiding his vices anymore. I don't even think he saw them as vices anymore. He just saw it as that's the way that he was. Like he had ashtrays lying around full of cigarette butts that he would never have before because he'd be too ashamed that you'd see how much he was had been smoking. Um, yeah, and, and that's the big change in him after Bulldog Face, and that pretty much stayed right through. And I think it was, uh, it was a little while, I think, before he met Mary. I don't think it was a long time that passed, but after a little while he met Mary, and he seemed to be looking healthier after he met her, which was nice. Unexpectedly, 
while Dad was drowning his sorrows after his split with the Bulldog, he managed to find himself a rebound relationship with someone who by all accounts seemed, well, normal. I thought she was nice. She was a little bit kooky, but she was nice. Yeah, I thought she was nice too. I mean, after the swamp creature that he was with before. You'd <laughs> <laughs> date a cockroach and it'd be better. <laughs> yes. She's, she, yeah, she looked okay and she... She was younger than him too, right? About 10 years younger. Yeah, definite upgrade. Yeah, definitely a step up. And she she had like an, a good job, like a normal job. She like wasn't bad with finances or anything. She was, yeah, a normal person. Well, let's not go crazy. Both of us know how this story ends. She's a bit more than kooky. There is a lot to be told about Dad's relationship with Mary and how it is still affecting our family to this day. But... That's not what we're here for today. And for now, all that you need to know about Mary is this. After her and Dad got together, she decided it would be a good idea for them to take a romantic couple's holiday together. A holiday to Russia. Um, I know that Mary was really pushing Dad to see his family and to go to Russia. Um, yeah, just she was really, really pushing I was surprised to hear about the Russia trip. Um, Dad had never expressed any interest in going to Russia, which I guess is strange because he he's never been to Russia. He was he was born in China, so his family fled from Russia to China before he was born, and then fled from China to Australia when the Cultural Revolution started. Uh, so there's there's a wild family history there that I'd love to explore at some point. But uh, yeah, he he his whole thing was that he loved Australia and. Why would he want to visit somewhere else when he, he had this amazing country to explore first? Yeah, he did. He loved Australia. He still does love Australia. Yeah, and that's why I was so surprised to hear about the holiday. Uh, I mean, especially to get Dad to take time off work to do anything is a hassle, let alone a month or two uh, for a holiday. It's sort of unheard of. But uh, she really was interested in his his family dramas and the stuff like that and I, I, she just yeah she seemed very into that even very early in their relationship uh, she's just she's just interested in knowing people's lives and backgrounds and she likes to get really involved in all of that sort of stuff yeah and i think dad had a lot of well in her mind dad had a lot of repressed repressed like memories and unresolved issues with his brother and so she was pushing for him to go visit and solve those. It was clear to all of us that the holiday to Russia was, for the most part, Mary's idea. It's not that Dad was opposed to going, it just wasn't something that was in his character to do, which made it even more of a surprise when, at the last minute, Mary decided not to go. Couldn't go, and it wasn't like it was an out of the blue trip. They'd been planning it for months. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. It is really odd. It is odd because if you're planning to go overseas for a couple of months, you should be able to just organise that and not drop out. I think she dropped out only a couple of weeks before. Yeah, it was just beforehand. But as strange as that was, the thing that I remember the most was Dad's reaction when she when she dropped out. He didn't, like, postpone the trip to wait for her or anything. Yeah. Dad was just like, peace out, bitches, I'm going anyway. <laughs> just took the trip without her. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a guy our dad is. Oh, my God. And that's how, as unlikely as it seemed, Dad found himself hurtling through space towards Moscow on a 20 and a half hour flight with nothing to keep him company but his own thoughts. 
I like to imagine that he was excited and hopeful about the journey and the prospect of reuniting with his lost brother. But he just as easily could have been regretful and overwhelmed, grieving over their wasted years. One thing was certain though, there was a feeling of destiny about the journey. As if this would be a fitting close to one chapter of his life and a beginning of something new. And, spoiler alert, none of that is wrong. The events of this journey would impact him greatly, and on his return, he would be a changed man, both mentally and physically. I knew that Dad was back in Australia, um, or he was like about to come back to Australia, and I was actually driving around and I got a phone call from Mary and she said your father doesn't want me to tell you this but he's he's in the hospital but he doesn't want anyone to know that he's in there he doesn't want any of you to know but I think you should know and I was like uh yes of course we should know um and she's like I just thought I'd ring you and I said oh don't worry I'll I'll call the siblings and let them know and I'll go straight to the hospital now because I'll finish work. And then when I got there, um, I asked where he was and they directed me to his room and he was in there and he just, he looked terrible. He was shaking and his voice was, it was strong but it still was shaky. Um, and he looked angry that I was there. And he, he goes, oh, I told her not to tell you. Why are you here? I'm like, I need to see you, my dad. And you're in hospital and you're not well. And I don't know, I got upset because I was, you know, emotional. And so what's going on? And he said, oh, I've, I've got a, a blood clot in my lung um, and I won't tell you how it got there yet I will tell you when I when I'm ready and I was like what on returning home from Russia dad was exhausted and after a few beers and a few cigarettes headed to bed early only to wake a few hours later complaining of a crushing chest and back pain of an intensity that he had never experienced before he didn't want to go to the hospital, suggesting that he just needed to catch his breath and he would be fine. But Mary insisted, a decision that doctors would later tell them saved his life. The doctors would also tell them that the blood clot was a result of hardened arteries from years of smoking and hard living, mixed with the air pressure of a prolonged high altitude flight. An obvious diagnosis for an unfortunately common ailment for a man of his age and disposition. But as obvious as these causes for the blood clot seemed, Dad rejected them, instead believing there were other forces at play bent on doing him harm. Forces not related to the flight home, but instead, the events that preceded it. But, uh, Ellie, you, he would have told you about how his, his theory as to how he got the blood clot after the trip to Russia, right? No. How is it that you never know this stuff? I don't understand. Do you just not listen? I, I don't get it. He told me about some things, but I don't remember that. 
I, f- I feel like maybe you just don't retain it or, or maybe you just switch off or something because I'm certain he would have told you about this. I probably did switch off because, you know, sometimes it just goes on sometimes and you're just like, uh, I'm just going to switch off now. <laughs> yeah, I, I do get that. And you, and you nod and smile, you know, just when you're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. just talking about that time he got a blood clot in his lung. I'm just, <laughs> it's not like it's anything important or anything. <laughs> the story behind Dad's blood clot conspiracy came, well, for those of us who are paying attention anyway, in the weeks and months that followed his release from the hospital. The story always started the same way. With Dad's arrival in Moscow. Um, he did have a full itinerary because of how difficult it was for him to get in the country. They needed to know where he was on a day-to-day basis. And so he had specific places he would be going. I think that's pretty standard for Russia. I think you have to have a really set itinerary to get a visa because it's quite a strict country um but as i remember he flew into moscow and he was meeting a bunch of family there because he hadn't met he's got tons and tons of relatives there and a lot of them being uncle lex's kids and things and he was meeting up with them as he was making his way down to where uncle lex was Uh, and he was out in the country somewhere he's in one of those places that has a really typical russian name that everyone knows but it's uh, what was it it's um Oh, what is it? He was in uh, Vladivostok. Yeah, that's it. Is that it? No, that's not it. That's not how you say it. Vladivostok. <laughs> I can't say it now. Vladivostok is what you said. <laughs> Get your mind out of the cocksack. <laughs> it's Vladivostok. That's what it is. Vladivostok. No, it's... <laughs> what? It's definitely not that. How do you say it again? Vladivostok. Vladivostok? Really? That's what you think it is? Vladivostok. Am I right? Hang on a second. Let me look up Vladivostok. Hang on, I'm looking it up. Vladivostok. Vostok. That's what it is. Vladivostok. Yeah, Vladivostok. Yeah, I can say it now. That's it. Vladivostok. Yep, that's it. That's how you say it. Anyways, so I know he was going to Vladivostok. Fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) So he was going to that, that, that place that starts with the letter V. Although Dad wouldn't meet up with Uncle Lex until the end of his trip, when he finally made his way across the country to the place that began with the letter V, he said that he could feel his brother's influence in the meetings that he had with his other relatives. From what I can get, I think Dad was having the most awesome time. The whole first part of the trip was meeting all his relatives and they were all super hospitable. Like one of them was in a band or something and he got to see them play or something. Yeah, it was like a nephew or like one of the nephews. Yeah. And he had a band and it's sort of Russian metal. Yeah, he loves that because I think it makes him sound hardcore, that he likes he likes metal, you know. Um, and the the lead singer of the band, who wasn't related to Dad, gave him a silver necklace. Oh, that's right. And it was the most amazing gift. And Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't shut up about that necklace. Didn't he give it to you in the end? It now lives in one of my drawers. <laughs> like all the most treasured gifts that went straight in the underwear drawer. Um, the other part of the story that Dad always made a point to tell was about the picture that was on the wall. Yeah. So he said in the rehearsal room where the band was playing, there was this framed portrait of Uncle Lex with a serious face. And he said the portrait, the way it was positioned, it was in this place of power so his, his presence could be felt. And he said this was a common theme. Wherever he went to visit people, there would always be these pictures of Uncle Lex around on the walls, these portraits of him. And on top of that... Dad said that whenever Lex came up in the conversation, people would always 
talk about him in these sort of hushed, revered tones. And he always felt like people were holding something back when they talked about him. And he said it was almost like they were af- afraid of him or something. Do you know the part of the movie where you feel secure? And then the director decides to pull the rug out from under your feet. And you realise that this whole time, while you thought you were watching one kind of movie, actually, it was something completely different. And you were just too gullible to realise. That's what Dad telling me this story was like. And it was only going to get worse. And he basically just paints Uncle Lex as this discriminating piece of shit who rules over his entire family with these iron fists. And he tells me that he wouldn't even accept his own daughter's marriage because the guy that she was marrying wasn't of pure Cossack blood. Like really horrible extremist white nationalist ideologies and things that dad is so opposed to. He's anti-classism. He's the epitome of the working class hero. That's who he is. Um, yeah, so just when he when he started to tell these stories, it was just really destabilizing because that's that's not what we thought of about our heritage, or at least me anyway. Sort of um, like um, Harry Potter and the pure blood and the dirty muggles. I mean, I, I think I was looking for more than a kid's book for an analogy, but it, yeah, I guess I guess he's like a he's like a Voldemort character. Yeah, the dirty blood. Yeah. You, you and your muggle blood. <laughs> your, your mud blood. Mud blood, that's it. <laughs> Every step down the rabbit hole that I would take would be another step away from that genius, inventor, superhero uncle that I knew. And in turn, another step away from who I thought I was. But I guess it should have been obvious. I'm Russian, right? And Russians are always the bad guys. Just ask Rocky Balboa, or James Bond, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. They built their careers out of beating evil Russians. But that's just in the movies, I hear you say. It's not like there are any real-life Russian Bond villains out there. Well, maybe there's one. He was going to Vladivostok, and um, he was seeing Uncle Lex's niece's husband, um, who is apparently in Putin's team of people. What what team? Like his... his... Like, a, like a treasurer. So he was a treasurer for Putin? Apparently. Or some somewhere high... He was very high up. Because that was the thing that everyone who Dad saw was connected to Vladimir Putin. Um, I think he gave you more of the details, but... Yes. It, it, it definitely seemed like they were all connected somehow to Russian government. He gave Dad some plaque or something, and then Dad ended up giving me the plaque, but it was some important... Putin Park or something. Probably my house is bugged now. <laughs> and what did, did Dad, what did Dad get it? Because he visited. Because he, uh, I guess the nephew had one laying around his house, so he gave it to Dad. <laughs> Just got this old thing laying around. <laughs> this old propaganda rock in the corner. <laughs> it's heavy. It's really heavy. Do you have it? Yeah. What is it? Is it? Is it? What does it say? Who knows? I'll take a photo of it and send it to you. Yeah, send it through. We can detective that shit. Ooh, exciting stuff. Did you send it then? Mm-hmm. Jesus, that's quick. What? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? I told you. It's, it's like a tiger perched on a stone with some crazy bridge in the background. <laughs> and then there's a shield on there with a tiger leaning on the shield with I told you. two snakes on it. 
What? Oh my god. It looks like it's on Slate or something, is it? It is, it is. Oh, weird. It's on Slate. That's how in Russia everything's on solid rock. <laughs> you don't you don't give a little key ring or something. It's like, here, take this boulder home with you as a, <laughs> as a token of my appreciation. <laughs> take this souvenir of this piece of Slate. <laughs> Enjoy getting that through customs. <laughs> well, I've translated the punk. Already? What are you, like a data analyst for the CIA? It says, the Chamber of Control and Accounts of the Promotsky Territory. Hmm. Control of the Promotsky. Promotsky. Do you you know what that is? So, the territory is just northeast of South Korea, and it's where uh, Vladivostok is. Did you really just gather all that information just this second? Yes. And the emblem in the corner is a mix between the emblem of a Count's Chamber of Russia and the coat of arms of Frosky. Hmm. It's it's legit. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds legit. I think I'm just having trouble processing that you really just researched all that information <laughs> just this second. <laughs> Does no one else find that impressive? Is it just me? When I was doing my research for this episode, one thing kept popping up in all my searches. The connection between the Cossacks and Vladimir Putin. One article from January 2014, entitled, The Cossacks Write Again, reads as follows. Vladimir Putin is drafting warriors of Russian law to provide their brand of law and order at the Sochi Olympics. As if this isn't ominous enough, another article of the time had this to say. Putin has promoted the use of Cossacks as police, saying they're often more efficient than the official police. In retaliation, his critics charge they are also less accountable than the police, and more hostile to non-Russian ethnic groups, and have little connection to the fabled Cossack warriors of yore. And finally, I came across an article that put everything into perspective. This one was from February 2014, and was entitled, Protesters Whipped at Sochi Games by Cossacks. This article came with an embedded video under the title depicting a small group of brightly dressed female protesters being whipped, maced, and generally beaten and humiliated by a group of uniformed Cossack guards. The article that followed would explain that the women were part of a feminist protest group known as the Pussy Riot, and they had become increasingly famous leading up to the Sochi Olympics due to their fiercely critical stance against Vladimir Putin. Reading these articles, I couldn't help but remember something Dad said he'd been told on the final leg of his journey. The information came during an almost full day's car ride, over unsealed roads and through thick Vladivoskan forests. He was told that Uncle Lex was personal friends with Vladimir Putin, and one of his top advisors, and that he had him living on a vast estate in the middle of a dense forest, where he was free to conduct top secret government work uninterrupted. It seems that Uncle Lex's secret lair had been upgraded sort of showed him around the property and stuff. So Dad actually took a video. I don't know whether you guys have seen that. Yeah, I've seen some videos. I've, I've seen some of the video. So he takes a video of, you know, what, what Uncle Lex is living in um, and, like, the house itself, I don't like we, I don't know if you've, you've seen inside the house, but the house itself, the floor, I think, was like a dirt floor in, like, almost like a shed. Um, and the kitchen was like a, like, this old wooden bench thing that looked like it had just been knocked together um you know you sort of go in there and that's that's kind of what that looks like and it's you're just like oh my god you know this guy's meant to be quite quite wealthy 
Um, and then he panned around to sort of look, uh, you know, at the other parts of the property and there's this gigantic shed with like machinery and whatever in it. And then he pans around again and he's got all these like, you know, this property as far as the eye could see. And then all of a sudden he pans around and there's a helicopter, which is his helicopter. <laughs> well, because he's a genius and he brought his inventions and intelligence to Russia. Yeah. And I mean, he was, that was his top secret work that he was doing for, for Putin, right? Like I think dad said he asked him about what he was doing there, but he he wouldn't say or something. But Dad said that he wouldn't talk about it, that Uncle Lex wouldn't talk about what he was, what he had done or what he was doing. Yeah, and it was clear that that's what Uncle Lex cared about was his inventions and things. And and it really bothered Dad because the, the shed and the inventions, that was all pristine, amazing technology, but then the house was just a raging shithole and he's like no man would let their wife live in that it's so disgusting that that's all he cares about yeah there was no electricity the water was bad as well and it was cold and apparently uncle lex is a millionaire but he chooses to live in squalor yeah that's (laughs) and so it was that after decades of separation across vast terrains and oceans the brothers would reunite. By this point in the story, the comprehensive picture of events that Dad had painted were not unlike a well-run political smear campaign, and I'd all but forgotten about my beloved Ruski Avenger. And instead, in its place, something more sinister was lurking. Maybe when I was imagining Superman, or Thor, or Cap, what I really should have been thinking of was Magneto, or Skeletor, or Dr. Evil. I remember once we got to this point in the story, like, I was pumped because the way Dad's explained it, this guy is, he's just a few steps off being basically a Nazi, and Dad's going to meet up with him, and I'm thinking, man, what happened here? Is it, are they going to come to blows? Is Dad going to call him out on his shit? Like, what's going to happen here? This is it. This is this is big. And they come together for the first time, and Uncle Lex is wearing a full-on military uniform. And it's like, wow, that's, that's better than expected. Like, are, are they going to go to war here? I just want to check this. He, he was wearing military uniform, right? That that is part of the story. It wasn't like like it, it was not like formal military uniform, but it was like the day to day wear. That's what he wore. Like a true fucking psychopath. It's it's beautiful. It's be- it's perfect. Like metaphorically, they're they're about to go to war, but of course they didn't go to war. <laughs> they met up, and Uncle Lex was a little bit standoffish to Dad. Well. They were reminiscing together about their childhood and Uncle Lex was telling a story about something that they did when they were children and Dad was like, no, that was me, you weren't even there, you're lying. And then Uncle Lex was like, no, you're lying. Yeah, and the story was something so ridiculous. Like, I think it was one of them picking a large amount of mushrooms in the forest when they were children. Like, it was so innocuous. Yeah, it was very strange. And so then Dad thinks that Uncle Lex is a liar, but then Uncle Lex thinks Dad's a liar. It's just two senile old men arguing over nothing. It's so stupid. It was really petty, and that is the reason Dad thinks that Uncle Lex cursed him. There are some curses that cause pain 
end, there are some curses that cause bad luck or unhappiness. But the kind of curse that Dad believes that his brother gave him was a specific kind. It was the kind that would fail to kill him, but would succeed at putting him into an early retirement. The kind that would thicken his blood and put a clot in his lung. Yeah, so he said Uncle Lex put a curse on him because they had a fight and, you know, Lex hates him. And so I was like, geez, um, that's like terrible. But you never believed it though, right? Um, no. Well, no, you didn't. I Because <laughs> I remember feeling so sorry for dad. I thought he's gone to Russia. He's met his brother. Things didn't go well. And now he's so upset that he's constructed this story that he, he believes. And I remember thinking at the time that dad was grieving. He was grieving the loss of his brother because he wasn't going to see him again, you know? That's it. Dad said, um, I will never talk to my brother again unless he apologizes, which I know he won't. Yeah. And, and it was just, it was, dad was just being so stubborn. It was his, his Cossack word, you know? Yep. And, and, that, that's it. And, and just like that, that whole connection to his family in Russia is gone. hundred percent. And you're just giving up this family that you've finally reconnected with because you have a disagreement about who was there when you were like five years old. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And I think that somewhere deep down, Dad knows that this was all caused by his stubbornness and his ego. And that stuff is poison to the soul. You know, it, it'll eat you from the inside out. So I think he constructed this fantastic story and this curse. But I think what it really is, it's just a coping mechanism because somewhere deep down he knows that it's all on him. This is all his fault, you know? Yep. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It's horrible. And it's sad. It's just very sad. I still clearly remember having this conversation with Arya. And I remember thinking, well, this is it. This is where the story ends. Not with fireworks or feuds, but with a lonely old man falling victim to his own stupid Cossack pride once again. Kind of a tragedy, really. But then some time passed, and I began to see things from a different perspective. A perspective that deserves further investigation. <laughs> well, it sounds like Ellie's having a good time anyway. <laughs> I'm recording... <laughs> Ooh, fantastic. That means we're all here. Nice. Um, so, uh, super keen to get together so we could do this recording, um, but I don't have a lot of time. I have a roast in the oven, but also me and Lily are putting up the Christmas tree today, and if I stay here too long, she's going to give me a slap. So, um, yeah, just really got some stuff I want to go through. You've done it too early. Christmas tree goes up on the 1st. Well, this is the way we're doing it anyway, so. No. Well, we always did it. The Christmas tree goes up after Dad's birthday. We always used to do it on the first. We're not you, goddammit. Mum, I don't know, Mum always did it after Dad's birthday. Did she? Yeah. Oh, I thought she used to do it on the first. I don't goddamn know. It's like, I don't care about this shit. We need to record. I don't know. We always do, we always do ours on the first anyway, so. I don't put decorations up. Oh my god, who are you, fucking Scrooge? I know, and I love Christmas. I love putting the, the hat on. Scrooge makes... Oh, makes Scrooge McFuck. Got... <laughs> Jesus. 
I don't have anywhere to put a Christmas. Was like Scrooge Mc. Lucas was like Scrooge McDuck. I've got nowhere to put a Christmas tree. I guess I could get a mini one for the table. Get a little one. It was a play on Scrooge McDuck, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we got that. Jesus. Anyway, if I can pry us away from the Christmas tree conversation for just a second, there is a reason why I got us in here today. So I was thinking about the whole Russia story and my perception of it. And I think that the way I f have felt about it was tainted by the way dad was when he told it to me. When he told me the story, he was just out of hospital, he was on blood thinners and he was in an early retirement. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is an outlandish story, but if that's the story he wants to tell and it gives him some comfort, then it's fine. And, and I don't think I really thought about the implications of the story too much. I just thought, yeah, crazy story. Dad's 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 justifying some things here, but that's okay, you know, as long as as long as it makes him feel better. But then as I'm editing this episode together, I'm trying to look at things more dispassionately. So I looked at exactly what dad said, and I realized that if you take what he said on face value, he's saying that Uncle Lex tried to murder him. <laughs> I never looked at it like that. I was going to say he could look at it that way, but... But there's no other way to look at it. Like, that's... He he got a blood clot that put him in hospital that almost killed him, and he said that Uncle Lex gave it to him on purpose in in, in retaliation. Like, there's no other way to look at it. It's, it's attempted murder. What, so because he put a curse on him, he was... Or whatever, and gave him a blood clot? Well, the intent was there. Think about it. If Uncle Lex poisoned dad and then dad got on the plane and had a blood clot that would be attempted murder right so what's the difference with this oh my god <laughs> yeah but he didn't he didn't put a blood clot in dad's artery but that's what dad's saying in the reality of the story that dad's built he is saying that he is saying that lex put the blood clot in his artery in hell. and by the way in this reality he's also saying that uncle lex is an evil genius and he created a magnetic engine and he's Vladimir Putin's henchman all of these things that I have no proof of that now I'm questioning you, you know just silent <laughs> he's, he's just his mind's just warped, so I don't think he actually gave him the blood clot. No, yeah, no we know I, that. I don't. I don't think any of us think that. He's not a wizard. No, he's <laughs> he's not an evil wizard. That's the. <laughs> none of us are saying that. He is an evil wizard. It's true. <laughs> like it's at Voldemort. That's what I was saying. <laughs> he's like Voldemort with the mudbloods. I love that he's a wizard. <laughs> he's concocting some <laughs> random potion <laughs> in his lair with the magnets. <laughs> With my new findings shared and discussed, I felt confident that the whole Uncle Lex slash Russiagate investigation was finally coming to a close. But before I could definitively put a pin in it and get back to decorating my Christmas tree, there was just one more loose end that needed to be tied off. When Dad told me, I don't think I even acknowledged it. Well, he's not the most consistent with his stories, let's be honest. Uh, this actually leads into the next thing that I wanted to go over. Um, so... I remember about a year or two after he got the blood clot and his health had declined a whole bunch. It was probably the worst I'd, I'd seen him to, to that point anyway. Um, 
And we were having a conversation and out of the blue, he said that the doctor should have emphasized how important it was for him to take aspirin when he was flying. And I remember thinking it was, it was weird because he didn't say someone should have told me to take aspirin. He said the doctor should have emphasized how important it was. So I said to him, oh, so did the doctor tell you you should be taking aspirin to fly? And he said, yeah, he told me I should take an aspirin before I fly to thin my blood out, but he didn't tell me how important it was. So when I flew over to Russia, I took an aspirin before, but on the way back, I lost the aspirins in the airport and didn't bother buying any more because I didn't think it was a big deal. And then I was kind of like, so <laughs> did you, is it not a curse anymore? <laughs> like, and I think dad told you this story as well, right? He didn't tell me about that he like he didn't tell me that he was taking medication to go on the plane. He just told me that he was cursed. He didn't say anything about the medication. It was Mary that told me about the medication and then I asked Dad about it. And then he went, Oh yeah, the doctor should have really told me that I should have really taken it. He didn't really express how important it was. Yeah, I mean he's not gonna go, if you don't take this, you're gonna die. You're gonna get a blood clot and you will die. <laughs> he's not gonna he's not gonna be like that, is he? No, he's not gonna say that. <laughs> he's gonna advise you to do something and it's your choice whether you do it or not, right? Yeah, it's it's just like another layer of mystery on this already batshit crazy story that he's spun. Um, and he didn't tell you this story, right? Like he, he, this is the, this, the doctor story is the, the original story that he told you. He told <clears> me <throat> the story of the, you know, getting the blood clot. And he told me the story that he didn't take the medication. He didn't tell me the story that uncle Lex was some crazed wizard that put a curse on him. That drives me crazy. Why would he give you the real story, but not me and Aria? Because he doesn't tell me stuff like that because he knows I just don't, he knows I don't believe him. What, and I'm going to believe a wizard? <laughs> Cheesy thinks highly of me, doesn't he? I don't understand how you've been gifted this. Like, what do you do that we do differently so he tells you the truth? When he tells me stuff, he'll either go so far-fetched that I ha- I call him out on it, like the camel thing. What the hell is the camel thing? So he told me that, um, you know, the violin um, bows that you use to make the noise? Yeah. Like the one you pull across the strings? Yeah, that's made from a camel's... Uh, spinal cord. What? When everybody in the world knows that it's made of horse hair, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure, uh, I guess. You know, the bow's made of 100 billion horse hairs, you know, like they're all... Yeah. Yeah, and you, you strum it along the strings and it makes the noise, right? Yeah, and what, Dad? that's what Dad told you. And I said, I went, no, it's not. I said, it's made of made of horse hair. No, no, it's made of camel... Camel, camel like, spinal cords? Spinal so, cord, yeah, yeah. Hang, hang on, wait, 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 wait. So he's saying that you, you need to kill a camel every time that you, you want to play, play a violin. Yes, yes, and this is the thing. I called him out on it and I said, no. Oh I said, God. everybody knows that it's made of horse hair. I said, I knew that when I was back in school because I did the violin at school and that's what they said, it's made of horse hair. And and then what did he say? Did he did he just change the topic then or what, what happened then? And then I went, what? So is... is there are lots of dead camels lying around, and he went, "Yeah." <laughs> so, so he just doubled down on the whole thing. That was that was his response. It, it just it just went. It just got greater. What a thing to lie about. I have a load of other stories like that. Like like what? Give give me another example. Well, when we lived in that other when we lived in the unit, right? Sorry, we were walking down to the beach for dinner, and he told me because you know you could hear lots of crickets and all this sort of stuff, and he told me that they put speakers in the bushes. So the cricket noise would be in the city. 
This is this is just, this just, is the stuff just that I recreation. used to get. Some ambient sound. Yes, exactly. The ambient sounds in the cities. <laughs> I was like, "You're nuts." And we're like, no, there's no, there isn't. Oh man! And, and where does this get powered from? And yeah. who powers it? And and who who plays the noise? And what happened to the real crickets? Is exactly. It, are they all dead? Did they die? They were used for violin strings <laughs> when they ran out of camels. <laughs> yeah, because you know how they like strum their back legs together, so they get a million yes. of the crickets <laughs> strumming their legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is good that is good (laughs) i don't hear those stories yeah i don't hear those either you get a whole different caliber of story to us ellie see this is this is this is why i have to call it out because i'm like that is just bullshit and after everything had been said these words from ellie were the ones left ringing in my ears and it really left me thinking how many of these stories from dad had been spun out of whole cloth because every part of this story seemed to have been smeared with layers of bullshit. Was Uncle Lex an evil communist wizard, or a brilliant genius inventor, and a true Cossack? And is that even something to be proud of? Or should I stop telling people that I'm of Cossack blood, for fear of being labelled a racist? I'm actually legitimately concerned about this stuff. My little sister has a Putin propaganda rock in her house that may actually be a Soviet bugging system. Do you think it's possible that it's powered by camel spines? Or cricket legs? I honestly don't know what to believe anymore. Which is hard, because a big part of the premise of this podcast has always been to gain closure by examining the truth. But in this case, that seems unlikely. Unless... What if the lesson for this episode is the one that's been the most obvious, and comes directly from Dad? The lesson that says sometimes if you don't like the narrative that you're dealt with, you can just choose your own, and everyone else will go along with it. So let's see. From now on, when people ask me my background, what am I going to say? Well, first of all, I'll say I'm of Russian descent, and then I'll say I'm of the amazing, genius, warrior bloodline of the mighty and moral Cossacks. Hmm, I like this. This is good. And then I think I'll say that the thing that I'm the most proud of about my heritage is my Uncle Lex, who is also known as... Hey, 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 hey. The Ruski Avenger. <laughs> you must squat and then kick your legs out. <laughs> Next time on Walking on Eggshells with an Emotional Vampire, the fucked up family detectives take on their biggest mystery yet. Ready for work. So it was after like the weekend. Um, and I sort of gotten ready for work and, you know, obviously had my breakfast and whatever and just, you know, have a coffee or whatever it is that you, you do in the morning. And then I um, so I went outside to get in the car. And so when I went around, around to the driver's side, I kind of just kind of glanced at the garden and I was like, what the fuck is that? And then I obviously went a little bit closer and I was like, it's a huge shit. Like it's a huge turd, like it was big. Like it wasn't a small one, it was quite a large one. And then I was like, is that toilet paper? That's next time on Walking on Eggshells with an Emotional Vampire. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not let us know about it by dropping us a line at eggshellvampire at gmail.com. 
That's eggshellvampire at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen. Your support is greatly appreciated. Walking on Eggshells with an Emotional Vampire is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Lucas Shaw. Thanks for listening.